What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Easter Sunday, April 9th, 2023. And today we're breaking down, well, a Cardinals loss. They dropped the rubber game, the series finale in Milwaukee, 6-1 to one to the Brewers, as it wasn't a great start for Jake Woodford, got roughed up a little bit, showed some good signs, I thought, but... Again, this is another example of a Cardinals game going wrong to me, more so because of, well, I guess the pitching wasn't great. You give up six runs. But the offense, man, the missed opportunities are what stood out to me today from the Cardinals as they mustered just six hits and one run. And there were definitely some opportunities in this game where damage could have been dealt by the Cardinals with men in scoring position, and they ultimately fell short. So tonight... We're going to get into a little bit of that and then some of the decisions, I think, that were made uh, when it comes to some maybe some managerial strategy that has been uh, questioned, to say the least, when it comes to Ali Marmol and some of the moves that the Cardinals chose to make on Sunday. I, You know what? There, there are going to be some examples where I thought do something differently. There are going to be others that the public is screaming about. Well, why did they do this? For instance, why did Taylor Motter bat instead of Brennan Donovan there in the late innings bases loaded when the Cardinals really could have used a hit? That's maybe one where I, I don't disagree with the move that Ollie made uh, as much as some others may. So we'll get into a little bit of that for sure tonight on B-Shape Daily. And uh, another example is going to be the uh, the outfield situation when it comes to Tyler O'Neill and maybe the, the notion of Dylan Carlson being uh, a lesser utilized player and center field in particular, because while I'm not in Milwaukee, Ollie Marmel did speak to reporters. It sounds like about the topic a little bit before Sunday's game, the notion that when Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson are both in a game who plays center field, well, it's been Tyler O'Neill. And I've been public about saying, I think it should be Dylan Carlson. I think Tyler O'Neill's won a gold glove in left field and Dylan Carlson is the team's best defensive option in center, and I don't think that's debatable. Interesting comments that we're going to uh, go over a little bit. Like I said, not in Milwaukee, but uh, Jeff Jones tweeted out some of the the Ollie Marmel quote, and there will be some others that I think will ultimately write stories about it and discuss it in the days ahead because it was something that happened pregame, and so everybody there covering the game in Milwaukee probably didn't rush to write that story but when they get a moment to do so I think it'll be interesting for Cardinals fans to read and uh, so I'll be sharing those stories for sure on my Twitter account at bshafer12 won't be written by me like I said because I wasn't on the road trip but that's a topic that I think Cardinals fans are certainly interested in um, not just because of all the Tyler O'Neill stuff that happened uh, when it comes to his his kind of kerfuffle with Ollie Marmel in the previous week uh, I think just in general people are looking at Dylan Carlson and kind of wondering why not more why aren't we seeing a little bit more of Dylan Carlson uh, and certainly when he is in the game most Cardinals fans I feel like are seeing it the way I see it in saying Dylan should be this team's center fielder put the gold glove left fielder back in left where he's been successful uh, and then there was a play today that certainly uh, caught your eye I think if you're if you're already scrutinizing Tyler O'Neill in center field uh, had a line drive that was kind of hit right at him over his head and didn't, to my eye, take the best route on it. And so that will only magnify the conversation, perhaps. But uh, we'll get into uh, all of those topics, and then we'll talk some Jordan Walker as well, because uh, why wouldn't we? Nine-game hitting streak, that continues for Walker as he reaches uh, some rare territory in baseball history with the youth that he 
presents as a, a guy debuting in the big leagues and to begin his career with the nine-game hitting streak uh, is something else. I think the name Ted Williams is being bandied about. So that's something we'll get into tonight on B-Shape Daily. And just in general, the offense, what we've seen from uh, the Cardinals recently and in particular on Sunday, um, because I I think for the majority of this season, and I say this season, it's only been like a, a week and a half or whatever it's been, uh, but for the majority of the time, we've seen the Cardinals offense, whether they're scoring runs or they're not, we've seen generally what I consider to be pretty good at bats from basically everybody on the team. And today, maybe I thought for the first time, I, I wasn't seeing as much of that. And there were some, some lesser at bats taken. And I want to talk about maybe why that, why that was at least give my perspective on it. So hopefully you're enjoying the show. Hopefully you've been enjoying the uh, last couple of nights. We've done a YouTube live stream. Didn't do one on Easter Sunday. There wasn't really a whole lot to, to get into live. I think that the questions might've been back to the anger variety from the listeners, but keep tuned to uh, the YouTube page, youtube.com slash at B Schaefer 12. This podcast is on there as well. So if you prefer to watch your video podcast rather than listen to the audio, that's an option for you. YouTube.com slash at B Schaefer 12. Check it out over there. Uh, but if you just like to listen, hopefully you're on Spotify. Hopefully you're on Apple Podcasts. You're subscribed, you're followed, and you're rating and reviewing B Shafe Daily. Because when you do that, B Shafe uh, appreciates it. So thank you guys. Let's go ahead, though, and jump right into the content of the show tonight. Cardinals lose it 6-1 to one to the Milwaukee Brewers. They're now 3-6 and six on the season. The Brewers now 7-2, and two, which puts the Cardinals four games back as they head out to Colorado for the early week series against the Rockies Monday through Wednesday. Uh, yeah, that's not where you wanted to be. I think that's not where a lot of Cardinals fans maybe thought this team would be when the Toronto Blue Jays rolled out of town last Sunday, about a week ago at this time, and the Cardinals had won two out of three from Toronto, what we consider to be a pretty good team, pretty good lineup. Uh, they had a whale of a game with the uh, Los Angeles Angels tonight. I think they won 12-11 in, I was going to say in overtime, in extra innings. They sort of make it feel like overtime, though, now with the, the new rules that uh, the ghost the ghost man, I call it the Manfred man, that uh, are still in effect, and, and I wish they weren't, but that's uh, a story for another day. We'll at least wait until the Cardinals have some impact in some extra inning games before I start complaining about that. But we thought maybe the Cardinals would be in a better spot, I think, after the way they opened against Toronto, taking two of three. And it's been a little bit of a slide since then. What do we make of it? What are the reasons for it? Well, we know that starting pitching has contributed. And then they got that really good start from Jordan Montgomery on Saturday. Now Sunday, it's the second turn for Jake Woodford. And while he did get the five strikeouts, was missing some bats, which I thought was a positive sign. Kind of what we saw from Jake Woodford in spring training that uh, convinced the Cardinals that he should get this opportunity to begin with. There are also uh, some hard hit balls against him. He gives up a home run, just the one walk, but six hits and uh, three earned runs. Was able to work around a little bit of the damage, but was not able to pitch through the fifth inning. Goes four and two-thirds, allows three runs. So another truncated start for a Cardinal starting pitcher, not getting as deep into games as you'd like to see, and the effect on that will ultimately come down on the bullpen. It's unavoidable, I think, that over the course of a a six-month season, the bullpen is not going to enjoy having to sustain four-plus innings on, you know, I say every night, obviously Saturday that wasn't the case, and Montgomery gave them a very much needed break to be able to pitch seven and then have the the just the two innings to cover for the bullpen. But for every other start, we've seen the bullpen tasked with a lot more, and uh, that was, again, the case on Sunday. Hennessy Cabrera back with the team. He made the move to the big leagues with Packy Naughton going on the injured list. That was uh, news from earlier this weekend with Packy dealing with the forearm situation, uh, from what I read from reporters in Milwaukee, 
doesn't seem like a structural issue with the elbow, um, but certainly going to need uh, time on the injured list and hopefully something he's able to work through and pitch again uh, before too long in the 2023 season. Uh, good news, ultimately. Like they were, it sounded like from the tweets I read from different reporters up there, they were concerned that maybe the elbow was going to, they were going to go in there and it was going to look, you know, not like a very good situation, not tenable, not intact. Sounds like they got better news than maybe they, they expected. So we'll see on Packy Naughton. But Henesis Cabrera comes in, gives up one hit, um, but records a couple of outs. Not a great day for Andre Pallante, who ends up giving up uh, a home run in this game and uh, three earned runs. That is where this thing kind of gotten, uh, got broke open as uh, he gives up four hits and just records three total outs. Uh, two of them were strikeouts, but a rough go for Pallante. Good to see Jordan Hicks come in a little later on and, and have a strikeout, at least a clean couple of outs. Uh, that's progress in the right direction for him. And Ryan Helsley did look really sharp, did walk a guy, but the strikeouts, the stuff looked really nasty. Uh, you might say, why Ryan Helsley in a 6-1 to one, uh, game that the Cardinals are, are not really in at that point? You know, you got to get the guy work eventually, and it's just kind of a gamble of saying, okay, hopefully you don't need him on Monday because then you'll feel a little bit silly about wasting him. But you can't leave him out there to dry. And unfortunately for the Cardinals this weekend, there were no safe situations. It wasn't uh, uh, that kind of series against the Brewers, so it ended up being that uh, to get him some work, that's the spot that Ollie chose tonight. And it was a pretty clean inning. I'd have to check exactly the uh, the amount of pitches that were thrown there by uh, by Ryan Helsley, and I'd be able to do that if I were better at operating the uh, the MLB app. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I can't find it for the life of me. I know this is like the worst radio, the worst podcasting, but I'm looking at the damn thing. Pitches, strikes, Woodford Cabrera, there it is. Ryan Helsley, 16 pitches, 10 strikes, so... I think ultimately, sorry about that. I think ultimately, you know, he may it may be unavailable for Monday, but it's just one of those things that you can't you can't always get what you want. And in this case, the Cardinals would have liked to have seen a save opportunity this weekend for Ryan Husley. They didn't get it, so they got him some work. But that's sort of the breakdown of the game from a pitching perspective. From a hitting perspective, um, just the six hits and a lot of strikeouts, eleven Ks for the Cardinals. Let's go ahead and get into it from this perspective, though. We'll get to the defensive stuff when it comes to O'Neal and, and center field. But I want to start with just the missed opportunities, I think, for the Cardinals offense today. 24 left on base. I just now saw that number for the first time. I knew it had to be high because in several innings of this game, the Cardinals were threatening, and at times they had the right guys to bat as well. You know, Goldschmidt and Arenado both coming up with the runners in scoring position, runners on base several times in this game. And neither of them able to come through. Uh, Goldie leaving three on base. Arenado leaving a couple on base. Uh, Goldsmith had one that he hit nearly to the wall in center field. Like, again, we're talking about the near misses. There was, there were several of those for the Cardinals today. Uh, but the one that jumps out most prominently came, honestly, after the Cardinals. You, you kind of feel like the game is out of reach because you're down 6-1. But when you load the bases with nobody out, that is a prime opportunity, potentially, to get a rally going. And the Cardinals had... Yeah, I mean, they had everything they could have wanted. And Ollie, to his credit, started emptying out the bench at that point. He started saying, we're going to we're going to be aggressive about it. 
and see if maybe we can't come up with uh, some runs here to get us back into the game. And I want to make sure I got this on the MLB app so that I am uh, accurately describing what took place as we recap things a little bit from the eighth inning. First, it was Wilson Contreras um, ends up pinch hitting for Kisner. And Kisner is an example. Like, if you were watching Twitter, a lot of people writing Andrew Kisner, his at-bats today weren't good. Uh, it seemed like a few strikeouts. I, I can't look at both at the same time, but he struck out multiple times, uh, just, you know, was was not particularly competitive in some of those at-bats. And so by the time you get bases loaded, nobody out in the eighth inning there, uh, Ollie Marmel says, we're going to go to our big guns. We're going Wilson Contreras. Well, he strikes out swinging. My thought in that moment was, Wilson, you've got to put something in the air um, because earlier this week there was a case where Contreras comes up, big potential RBI spot, one out in the inning. I And I tweeted it at the time. I said, hit something in the air. That's what the Cardinals need. Hits it on the ground, double play. This time, at least it wasn't the double play, um, but it was a strikeout. Then Tommy Edmond has the fly ball to left. It, it wasn't deep enough to score the runner from third. And then you're like, well, that sucks. Uh, and then you go with Taylor Motter over Brendan Donovan. This is the one that I think people were talking about the most. And you're trying to find a way to gain an edge there. Hobie Milliner was the uh, relief pitcher that was brought in by the Brewers. They were going to go left on left against Brendan Donovan. And this was good from Jeff Jones, who uh, writes for the Belleville News Democrat, and he was there in Milwaukee. And uh, he tweeted this out, and I can assume this came directly from Ollie Marmel in the postgame because, of course, this is something that Ollie was asked about uh, because Brendan Donovan, your leadoff hitter, he's been pretty trusted, righty or lefty. It hasn't really mattered this year. You can recall uh, the the day the, uh, the Tyler O'Neill play happened that occurred on a hit that Brendan Donovan got as a pinch hitter when the other side brought in a lefty to face him. So he's come through against lefties recently in clutch situations, but they didn't want him to have the opportunity this time. They wanted to go with uh, the the splits a little bit. And part of the reason Jeff Jones tweets out, Milner, 53% on the ground, left on left, which means if he's got a left on left matchup, the data tells you he's probably going to produce a ground ball. That's his style. That's what they bring him in to do. The Cardinals project with a hitter like Donovan, not even a hitter like Donovan, with Donovan specifically against the pitcher Milner, in that spot the Cardinals project, and this is still from Jeff Jones's tweet, 64% on the ground. And Jeff adds this part, and I'm glad he did because I didn't really say it at the time, but I was thinking it on Twitter. He said, and he'd already taken four pretty bad at-bats today. I mentioned at the top of this podcast that I thought the Cardinals, did, this was like the first day that it stood out that I thought a handful of guys were taking bad at-bats. And Brendan Donovan was one of them. His, his at-bats did not look good today, uh, to my eyes. Uh, it just, you know, was one of those days, I thought, for the Cardinals offense where y- you you can tell when guys are right on it and things just aren't happening for them. And then there are other times where they're just not, they're not as competitive as you want to be. Only one strikeout for Donovan on an 0-4 day. And I don't, to my, you know, immediate recollection, recall what the other types of outs were. But he just, not a lot of hard contact. And I just didn't feel, you know, he had a ground out in the first inning. Uh, I guess I could go through it. It just wasn't, it just wasn't your typical Brendan Donovan day. Another ground out later on in the uh, fourth or fifth inning, scrolling down further Donovan. So it was, yeah, three ground outs. The third one goes back to the pitcher um, and then a strikeout. So really weak contact from Donovan all day. You talk about the pitcher that can induce a ground ball. Brendan Donovan's going to hit a ground ball. The Cardinals need damage in that spot. They're down six to one. 
The decision was to go with Taylor Motter there, and he obviously can be a direct replacement at second base for Brendan Donovan in the field. But that took a lot of people by surprise. Like, Donovan, you know, has been a pretty regular standard player for them all year. Again, had recently come through against lefties. Motter, on the other hand, has had a maybe a handful of at-bats all year, hasn't really played. He's more of the 26th man, the last guy on the bench. But because he plays second base and hits right-handed, they're going to bring him in for that spot for Donovan against the lefty. That was sort of the thought process for the Cardinals. And so for the Cardinals to make that decision to take the bat out of Donovan's hands, without the context of how he had looked during the game, I thought maybe that's not a move you make. Because if he's looking good and he's right on pitches, I don't I don't think the Cardinals are worried about left-on-left left with Donovan. I've, I've said that a lot of times on the podcast recently. And so I think that's what Cardinals fans saw in that moment. But if you were watching his at-bats, like Donovan just he didn't look like himself today. I don't know. You're a professional baseball player. You have to play 160 games a year. Sometimes you're not going to look at your best. I think Ollie Marmel, first of all, identified that with Donovan and said, we also don't want, you know, the ground ball result that we're probably going to get in this particular matchup. That's an example of the data that the Cardinals have that we don't have at our fingertips. Uh, and maybe that's out there somewhere if you're able to look that up. But I think that's kind of internally, they're looking at that and saying 64% ground ball likelihood here. Uh, we don't like that because we're looking to get uh, a line drive somewhere probably, or you want to at least hit in the air and hope that you can find a hole in the outfield and, and drive in a couple of runs to get back in this game. You know, best case scenario might end up being a home run, um, but Taylor Motter is not really the guy that you expect, <clears throat> pardon me, that you expect to get you that home run, right? So for me in that moment, I was thinking Dylan Carlson would be the guy that I would put in if I were going to go somewhere else, but I also didn't mind taking Donovan out. So that's why I don't think I even tweeted about it in the moment. A lot of people were going, Taylor Motter, what is this? What's going on? And I thought, yeah, let's see this play out. You know, I'm I'm going to be honest about it after the fact that I wasn't second-guessing the decision to take Donovan out, but I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe uh, this would be a chance for for Dylan Carlson against a lefty. That That's his strong suit. Last year, he struggled against righties, but from the right side against left-handed pitching, he was pretty good. And even going into this year, he's gotten some rave reviews from StatCast on his general hard hit metrics and the the percentiles. I saw a graphic fly across Twitter today. You know, Dylan Carlson's actually done a pretty nice job overall this year, and so I thought maybe that's a spot for him. Evidently, the Cardinals did not think that was a spot to deploy Dylan Carlson. Jeff Jones does mention that they had Carlson on deck then to bat for Burleson, had the inning extended beyond the moderate bat, but the Cardinals with two outs did not want to use Yepes or Carlson in that spot when it was six to one with the bases loaded and you're down by five because you're burning two players at once. Basically, if you go Yepes or Carlson there in the leadoff spot, you end up, you know, that guy's not going to be able to feel at second base. So you're bringing in modern regardless. So you're burning two spots for one, uh, one play, essentially one pitch hit opportunity. You're, you're using two players because somebody's going to have to come in and, and play the field. But, and this didn't occur to me. I was really thinking along the lines of Dylan Carlson. And it makes sense why they didn't go Carlson necessarily, because if he's on deck, if their plan is, hey, extend the inning, like uh, even a grand slam right here from Taylor Motter, where Cardinals are still losing six to five at that point. So they need something after that to continue if they're going to win this game. That would be a great spot for Carlson, who would then get to face a lefty if the, the guy that's pinch hitting for Donovan can extend the inning. So at that point, you don't want left on left with Burleson against Milner. And so if you think through it that way, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. If they were going to pinch it, 
Carlson uh, for the, the lefty Burleson in that spot. I'm cool with not going Carlson in the leadoff spot, although you also could have reversed it if you really wanted and thought that Taylor Motter was worth, you know, giving it a bat to in that spot. I would go, okay, what's the most aggressive play? It would be Carlson, who I consider to be the better offensive option. I'm going to bat him first, and then I'm going to go Taylor Motter uh, if the inning is extended. And in that case, you get, you know, the same two guys are going to bat, but the what I consider to be the better hitter in Dylan Carlson gets to bat first. And you use the same amount of players as you would have. But in a situation where the, the leadoff man, which ended up being Motter, makes an out, then you only use one player, which is fine. But in the eighth inning, if you make that out, which Motter did, now the Cardinals trail going into the bottom of the eighth, six to one. It really doesn't matter how many players you use, right? Like Carlson's going to end the day on the bench, I guess. Uh, so is one yet. Like it doesn't matter because you're down by five and you're not going to mount a five-run rally in the, the ninth. It's just very unlikely to happen. So who cares how many players you use is my point. Like they didn't want to burn two players and that's fine. I don't, I, I think if you walk through it that way, the upside was there to go ahead and what's your best shot? What's your most aggressive shot that you can take? I think it's Dylan Carlson before Taylor Motter. Another way you could go even more aggressive would be, and this was something that Jeff Jones in his tweet said he asked Dolly, would be Juan Yepes. Because you're talking about needing damage and wanting power. I say, YOLO, you're down 6-1, to one, use the entire bench. Because the worst case scenario in that spot is it works, and now you have to figure out how to field the rest of the game in a competitive game. But at least it's a competitive game. If you don't figure out a way to score five runs, or at least four runs to, to give yourself a crack at it in the ninth, it doesn't really matter how many players you did or did not burn. You've lost the baseball game. So that's my mindset. I'm saying go as aggressive as you can, which at first I thought would be Dylan Carlson. But now that I'm kind of thinking about it, another route you could have gone would have been Yepes or Carlson. And then the other one immediately after that, if it works in the Burleson spot, if you think Yepes is the better off offensive option, go with Yepes and then go Carlson after that. Never bat Taylor Motter, but he does come into field. He plays second base, one, Yepes or Carlson, which would be Carlson, would stay in the game and play the outfield in the Burleson spot, and then you've, you've, you know, you've used everybody. I would, have, I would have considered going that way because, again, it's a 6-1 to one game. It doesn't really matter if it doesn't work. If you don't get the hit, you could burn anybody or not burn anybody. You've lost 6-1. to one. Or maybe you know, Goldschmidt hits a home run that's meaningless or Arenado in the ninth. You've lost 6-2. to two. In that spot, I think the aggression it would have been warranted um, I'm a little curious. And, and again, from the, the tweet from Jeff, who I appreciate, uh, his, his kind of insight here, he says, perhaps you, he's talking to the, the average tweeter. He says, perhaps you individually would have rather used Yepes in the modern spot. He said the Cardinals would not. That much was made clear. I asked specifically, and it was a hard no. So interesting to hear that Ollie did not consider Yepes at all in that spot. Uh, for me, it's a, like as a Cardinal fan, You've got an at-bat that's important. Who you want taking it, don't worry about the other details. You want Dylan Carlson. You want Juan Yepes. You want Taylor Motter. I think it would be people would probably be generally pretty split, uh, especially if you told them, okay, it's a left-handed pitcher. People are going to be pretty split between Yepes and Carlson, if I had to imagine. I don't think one answer is correct over another. Uh, Yepes, maybe his at-bats have not been quite as crispy as the ones Dylan has been taking this this you know week and a half or so. Obviously, Yepes just got there from the Nupar uh, IL deal. But for me, I would probably lean Dylan Carlson. But if you said Yepes, I couldn't fault you there. I don't know that it's modern, though. And if it if it's playing a factor of 
how many players you burn in a 6-1 game, I think maybe that's a mistake because I don't. it doesn't matter. You're just trying to win the game. Go as aggressively as you can. And if in the 12th inning you wish you had an extra bench guy, at least you're playing in the 12th inning. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the way I saw that. Um, but I think really it boils down to we're talking about a play that happened in the 8th and we're scrutinizing a manager's decision because it's St. Louis Cardinals baseball and that's what we do just because I don't agree with the move from Ollie. Again, you're hearing me scrutinize because it's what we talk about. It's it's what we do in this in this line of work. But it's not me saying, oh, Ollie blew the game. No, the Cardinals were down 6-1. to one. This was a last gasp kind of opportunity. You're hoping that they can come through and make some magic happen to make it competitive again. Uh, Ollie Marmel's decision-making there is, is going to be, you know, scrutinized, but it's minutia. It's really not the reason the Cardinals lost the game. I mean, the Cardinals lost the game because they didn't get a great start out of Woodford. Uh, and then Palante gives up a home run. You have Christian Yelich hitting uh, a home run for the first time this year. Yelich actually had a really good game, but it's one of those deals where he's he's kind of been a shell of his former self, right? Christian Yelich, and uh, in this case, it was, you know, pretty nice opportunity for him to, to get going, hits a homer, and there was some hard contact. I mean, William Contreras had a double. Uh, there was an RBI double later by uh, Rowdy Telez. You know, it was just one of those days for the Cardinals from a pitching perspective. But I think even more to that, it was the offense. not Because the Cardinals could have won an 8-6 to six game today. I know it's crazy to say when they lose 6-1. to one, I really do think the Cardinals could have won a 7-6 to six or an 8-6 to six game if they would have come through with some of these opportunities. But it's the same thing that we've been talking about uh, going back to last week where it's just not, they're not coming through in the clutch with runners in scoring position. The difference today, though, was I do say they took some bad at-bats. In the past week or so, I would say, and you've heard me say, it was a game where the Cardinals were taking good at-bats. They were putting the ball in play with authority. That you know the, the bounces just didn't go their way. No, today, I mean, there was some of that. The ninth inning, Burleson had a line drive into right field, and that dude got on his horse and caught it, and it's just like, what can you do? So there was a little bit of that. Goldschmidt's to the center field wall. You know, he needed to get about five more feet on it, and it's a two-run homer. What can you do? There was a couple of plays like that for the Cardinals today, but there were more of the at-bats that were not quality at-bats. And I don't know if that was mentioned by Ollie, if he was asked about it, and he said, no, today I didn't like the at-bats. I don't know if that happened. I didn't see the post-game show. was celebrating Easter with family and stuff like that. But I feel like, if we're honest about it, we could say that today was a day where we didn't see uh, the the equal quality of at-bats, top to bottom, as we have seen from this Cardinals lineup previously in the season. I think there might be a couple of reasons for that. First of all, to me, when you say, okay, what, why weren't the at-bats good to your eyes, Brendan? What did you see that you didn't like? I, I saw taking too many strikes and then swinging at too many balls, which is an oversimplification. But, like, and again, it was a 6-1 to one game at this point, so I'm not throwing Paul Goldschmidt under the bus. But think about his ninth inning at-bat. He, he, he took two strikes that were, you know, fastballs in the zone, probably pretty hittable, but then he strikes out on a pitch that's, you know, four or five, six inches off the plate. And that, you know, that's the at-bat. He doesn't swing at a strike, swings it. The only time he does swing in the at-bat ends up being the strikeout. Like, stuff like that, where I feel like the Cardinals, their goal, what they talk about as a philosophy offensively, is that they want to be aggressive on their types of pitches. They want to be aggressive within the strike zone. And then, you know, lay off the the pitches that aren't, aren't hittable. And I saw kind of the opposite of that today. I saw a lot of takes on Sunday on what, like, eventually were the, maybe that was the most hittable pitch of the at-bat, and that was one that you took. I saw Gorman do it at times, and that's not to say, like, you're taking bad at-bats every time. Like, I thought the Goldie at-bat in the ninth was a bad at-bat, but, who you know, he's going to have 600 at-bats this year. 
and 550 of them are going to be a lot better than that at bat. It was just one of his lesser at bats, and it happens over the course of a season. But even in a case where like Gorman, uh, I, I think there was a, an at bat for him, and, and there was one for Wilson Contreras too, where it's like, oh, that's a pitch that maybe you want to jump on, or that's when you want to lay off, but they end up walking or they reach base anyway. And so it's like, okay, that's fine. But a walk, as good as it is, could have maybe been a double or, or damage if you swing at the pitch that ends up being the most hittable pitch of the at-bat. You don't always know in that moment what's going to be the most hittable pitch, but I think there were a number of times today where if you would look and, and watch the at-bat over, you would say that was the pitch that ultimately he probably wishes he was able to, to cut loose on because that's the one he could have done damage with. I felt like today there were just too many times for the Cardinals on that pitch, they were either taking it or they missed it. Uh, and, and more often than not, it was just taking the pitch and not even offering at it. Sometimes you're going to swing and, and you say, oh, man, I was right on that. I didn't quite get it, whatever. But I think today there were a lot of examples of they just weren't swinging at those pitches. And then they were expanding the zone a little bit. One of the reasons for that, I want to be clear about this. The umpire was terrible. The home plate umpire was awful. Um, I can't tell you how many strikes were were six inches off the plate inside or outside. And I'm thinking, oh, OK, it's two and oh now. And then the dude raises his arm. I'm like. All right, I don't even know what the Cardinals are supposed to do. So they might have gotten into a spot, and I'll be interested to see like the little graphic that they put up on social media of the umpire uh, report card the next day. But I just don't really think that the umpire did a very quality job behind home plate on Sunday. And, and maybe that plays into it a little bit for the Cardinals where you're expecting it to be one way and then you're getting, you know, you're getting some bad calls against you, which then puts you into overdrive of, okay, how can I compensate for this and try to fix it? And I think at that point, you're overthinking it as a lineup. And I thought I saw that from, you know, not going to say everybody, but quite a few guys in the lineup. And I think the umpire probably did contribute, but there are going to be bad umpires all season long. You'd like to see them be able to, to kind of lock in on that. But generally, is it a way to, you know, should we panic about the lineup? No. I mean, it's a long season. You're not going to always be on your game every single day. I don't think it's indicative of a larger issue, um, but we're obviously going to scrutinize these things a little more closely when a team is on a losing skid like they are right now. So I'm talking about it. Does it mean they're a terrible lineup? No, I still maintain this is a team that could lead the league and run scored this year. I still think that's possible. They have to start coming through with runners in scoring position more than they have if they're if they're going to make good on that prediction by me, but I still think the pieces are there. Uh, for instance, you've got a guy like Jordan Walker batting seventh in your lineup today, and he just continues to rake. Uh, another big hit for Jordan Walker in this one. He ends up with the only RBI for the Cardinals, if I'm not mistaken. I'll roll through and make sure I'm checking. That. Yeah, he was one for three, also reached base via walk, and again had the only RBI. I think the other day he had the only two RBIs. So uh, he's continuing to do his thing. Uh, the batting average for Jordan Walker, if I could find it here real quick, is up to 353. Actually, I should say down to 353 because he was one for three, which means a 33 average on the day. So it went down by a few points on Sunday. But still really good stuff from Jordan Walker. Nine-game hitting streak to start his career. Um, off the top of my head, I saw I saw it earlier, but I didn't look specifically at it. And so I'm going to Twitter search real quick here, Ted Williams, and I'm going to hope that it pops up. Here's, here's this from MLB Pipeline. Since 1990, three position players age 20 or younger have recorded a hit in their first nine major league games. Ted Williams, Eddie Murphy, Jordan Walker. That's the list. So... Pretty impressive for his age to be doing what he's doing for the Cardinals. I think it's very clear that he was ready, right? Like the the kudos to the Cardinals for recognizing that he's one of their best nine and they've played him every day and he's continuing to uh, 
to show that he that he deserves the opportunity. Oh, and I saw this. This was something else from Jeff Jones that he put out on Twitter. And he's at JM Jones. I've been talking about his tweets enough, so make sure to give him a follow. Uh, but he had the StatCast leaderboard, small sample size. But he, Jordan Walker has the, the fastest sprint speed prior to today on the Cardinals this season. Average sprint speed, 28.5 feet per second. Actually faster than Tommy Edmonds so far at 28.1 feet per second. So not only is he this power threat, is he this on-base threat, is he this contact-oriented threat, he's got wheels too. He's scooting out there. So uh, if he figures out how to really round into a solid outfielder defensively, which is a lot to ask of a guy that only picked up outfield last July or really last August prior or following the trade deadline, Jordan Walker, he's already very special, but he, you know, that's the only knock on his game right now is just a, a relative inexperience in the outfield. But let's talk about the outfield. That's one more thing that I really want to dive in on. I don't have as much to say about the Woodford thing other than uh, this was the kind of start that I think you're going to now scrutinize the Woodford spot and the rotation a little bit more if he struggles once again, uh, especially if you have a guy to replace him with. And I think Matthew Libertor is maybe one more rock and start in Memphis away from the Cardinals. Uh, I'm not going to say they pull the trigger, but definitely they'll they'll begin to think about that a little more closely if Woodford gets one more chance and it doesn't go well. Uh, but he should face the Pirates in his next outing if he remains on turn in the rotation. So that'll be a good spot at home. Uh, if he remains in the rotation, which I expect he will, I don't think they'll pull the plug on it this quickly. Uh, he did do some good things today, like I said, five strikeouts. But I don't have a ton to say about it uh, other than what I've already kind of glanced over when it comes to Jake Woodford. I do want to talk about Tyler O'Neill though, because... I've talked about on the podcast already that I don't think he should be playing center field on days when Dylan Carlson's in the lineup. Today, Dylan Carlson was not in the lineup, and so obviously O'Neill is going to be your center fielder when the other options are Burleson and uh, Walker and Wright. You know, those guys are corner outfielders, and O'Neill's your guy. I have sort of been wondering, and it, and it sounds like they broached the topic in Milwaukee, the whole element of O'Neill just sort of being bestowed the center field job because he wanted it. That's, you know, he wanted to be the center fielder. The Cardinals said, okay. But remember, I said it comes down to their belief in him offensively. Because if you don't believe him offensively, he's not in the lineup every day instead of Carlson. And so it's kind of a moot point. Tyler did have a couple of hits today. Uh, one of the, maybe the only Cardinal that did, looking up and down the lineup. He's the only guy that had a multi-hit day, but he also struck out twice. And the strikeouts were kind of the, the quintessential waving at sliders, not the competitive at bats you want, and one of them came in a clutch RBI opportunity that that went by the wayside. So people are obviously going to hone in on that and focus in on that, but a, a two for four days is nothing to really spit on if you're if you're going to try to denigrate his offensive performance. On a day where the Cardinals only got six hits, he got 33% of the team's hits. All right, I'm, I'm mostly okay with the offensive performance, although you would like to see him be able to lay off some of the pitches out of the strike zone, breaking balls that are, that are strikeouts, but it, I, I don't think it's fair to nitpick too much on O'Neill when, uh, you know, he offensively, he's he's doing all right right now. That wasn't really the issue uh, as much. But in center field, there was a play later in the game, and I don't remember the exact inning, but if you were watching, you recall it. It was a line drive, and they say for a center fielder or even an outfielder in general, general the hardest line drives to judge are the ones hit right at you. And this was. It was dead straightaway center field over his head. He sort of turned back on it, and then I he took like a, a false step toward right field. It just was not a great break on the ball. Goes over his head pretty easily for a double. And it's like not the end of the world. I don't think the runner even scored, but it was a, a kind of a, a flashpoint for a conversation that's been ensuing about 
you know, whether Tyler O'Neill in center field is a great match. Again, he's a gold glove left fielder. Wouldn't it make sense to just continue to have an edge there defensively if you're the Cardinals and putting him there? The problem is if you're going to keep playing Burleson, you can't do that because, you know, he's not a center fielder and neither is Jordan Walker. But there have been games where O'Neill and Carlson have been in the lineup at the same time, and they've still done it that way with O'Neill in center and Carlson in left. And so I've been talking about it. Cardinals fans have been talking about it. Evidently this morning, Ollie Marmel talked about it in his office on Sunday. And uh, that was where the tweets came out that, and this was Jeff Jones who had said, there are going to be stories written about this at some point. Well, you know, it wasn't going to be today, but because that, I think Jeff may have even put it up because of that play in center or just in general, because it was a topic of conversation and he's a man of the people. He tweeted out, he said he didn't want to chop it up, but it's relevant to the right now. There was an extended conversation about it in the manager's office this morning. Here is a relevant chunk, and I'm going to read this verbatim. Uh, this is Jeff Jones delivering a quote from Ollie Marmel when it comes to the O'Neill versus Carlson conversation in center field. Here's what Ollie said per Jeff Jones. He begins with, you have to be patient. Dylan's playing really good defense. Like anyone with eyes can see that he is playing really good defense. But if you're wanting to see what Tyler is capable of doing in center, then you have to wait and see what he's capable of doing. Metrically, I get it. We're all looking at the same thing. Underlying skills, there's upside in Tyler and in, and in seeing if Tyler can play center. And Jeff adds, the bottom line right now today, Carlson is the superior center fielder uh, defensively to O'Neill, and the Cardinals know that. They also know that O'Neill has speed and explosiveness that the other outfielders don't, and they believe the ability to train that in the right direction solves the rest. And by the rest, he means the fact that what we're all seeing is true, that O'Neill has not been getting great jumps, that he's not uh, to Carlson's level uh, instinctually as a center fielder. But the Cardinals' viewpoint on this, as as relayed by that, and I think you'll, you'll get more context uh, when the other writers write their stories about it, and like I said, those will be valuable stories to read. You want to be the most informed baseball fan that you can be? I'm not just saying, you know, because I'm a writer, but read what's being written because there are things that if you just look at a headline, guys, or if, even if you just listen to a, a podcast or whatever the case might be or a post-game show because it's it's tweeted out by Bally Sports, there's going to be context that you don't get. And so I'm, this is just my stump speech for a moment of read what everybody out there is writing. I, you know, I'm not just saying myself, like others are doing really good work. And obviously, if you want to stay informed when the team's on the road and I'm not out there, you should read those other guys too. I mean, they're doing some great work out there. So uh, that's just kind of my, my stump speech for my colleagues. But when it comes to what we're all seeing in Tyler O'Neill, the Cardinals see it too, and they're acknowledging that in this conversation, it sounds like. And again, there will be more quotes, I think, that are going to be explained better when those stories get written. But just from what I'm reading and seeing in this tweet that Jeff shared, He's basically saying, Ollie is saying, you know, we know that Dylan is the better center fielder at this point in time. But if you look at all of the data, Tyler O'Neill has more explosiveness. He's the more explosive athlete. And we think we can turn him into a center fielder of a tier that Dylan Carlson does not have a chance to reach because he doesn't have that pure athleticism or speed to the caliber that Tyler O'Neill does on just a raw level. And I don't think I disagree with the notion of that Tyler's the better athlete. I think I buy that. But I do pump the brakes on thinking this is a good idea for that reason. I think that maybe with this mindset, the Cardinals are overlooking the importance of instinct for a center fielder. And they're saying we can build 
the best possible center fielder by just letting Tyler go figure it out because his upside is higher at the position. And while I think that's true, I think there's always going to be a level to fielding. Like, this is very much the similar conversation that we have when it comes to, like, exit velocity and stat cast guys at the plate. There are players who are stat cast guys, right? The metrics love them because they hit the ball hard, they hit the ball with the proper launch angle, and that's all that matters because teams in the modern day are convinced that if you just let those guys go figure it out, they're going to be able to do things that the pure contact hitter isn't going to be able to do. You can't teach a guy to have ridiculous Hulk-like power at the plate, right? You can't teach it because they have to be strong enough to do it. They have to be able to produce it on some level. And so that's why we've seen in baseball, a lot of the strikeouts are up because the types of players that strike out, sometimes those guys also are able to produce power in ways that others cannot. And by the way, that's what makes Jordan Walker so special because he's a contact guy who is freakishly strong and has the frame to to utilize that muscle even more effectively as he grows in the game and just add a little launch angle. And like I said, it's over for the rest of the league if he starts hitting hitting fly balls with that sort of authority. Right now, his home runs, he's hit two of them. They've both been on a, on a rope, line shots to left field. He's a line drive hitter. He can figure out how to launch angle up, launch angle it up a little bit, and I think he'll be even more effective. The question is, how much do you want to sacrifice when it comes to striking out more to gain more power, et cetera? That's the age-old question. But we all can think of the example of the types of players that if the metrics love them and the, they hit the ball hard and they do the, the launch angle that everybody loves nowadays, those guys are getting opportunities, right? And maybe this is an example with Dylan Carlson where, like, historically, he's not been that guy. If you look at his past data, not very high rated in the the hard hit metrics and those sorts of things. And so he's a solid contact hitter, but what is that? What do you value that as? I think that might be a window. The Cardinals haven't said this specifically, but I'm just pontificating. I think that might be a window into why the Cardinals maybe haven't been as high on, and that's to say they're not high on him, but they've allowed other guys like a Tyler O'Neill, who's got the strength, the exit velocity, the, all that stuff, right? You can kind of see where this is going. They've, they've catered a little bit more to an O'Neill offensively because the upside exists there for his game that, you know, if Dylan Carlson hard, begins to hit the ball harder, which he's done this year, so maybe they'll change their tune on that and feel a little better about Dylan's future, uh, which is not to say they're not high on his future, but I hope I'm making that clear, that it's just the raw ability to hit for power, exit velocity, launch angle, all those things, teams value that. I think the exact same thing is happening on the defensive side when it comes to Tyler O'Neill in center field. They are valuing the notion that he can get to balls faster if he can figure out the position because he's faster than everybody else. He he just has to learn the instincts of it. But there is an element to me, and especially I think this is more true with defense and offense, that the instincts just are what they are. You've got to have them, and it might not be something that you can just come up with. Now, in left field, O'Neal has been great, and so the Cardinals have seen that greatness, and they say there should be no reason that he can't replicate that in center field. I say maybe there is a reason. It's just a little bit of a different position, and you do have to cover more ground, and it's more things to think, to think about because the ball could be hit to your left, to your right, in either gap, and you've got to – there's a lot to get to. I'm not saying Tyler O'Neill is incapable of doing it. I'm saying it's clear right now that he's not on the level of Dylan Carlson at it, and I think Dylan Carlson is good enough that it's not worth chasing whatever upside you think might be there for O'Neill to maybe have the edge and get a little bit better than Carlson. Like, I don't – I don't think Carlson is a, a, a problem in center field. But if his offense is not what they want in the lineup every day, and O'Neill's is, which is still something you can debate, but the Cardinals have clearly 
picked a side on that, at least in the early going this season, because that's where the opportunities are falling. They're falling to O'Neill and not to Carlson. Then that's where you go, all right, if they're going to play in the lineup at the same time, we're going to go with the guy that's playing every day because long-term we think he's going to bat in our lineup 150 times a year, whereas we think Carlson might only be 80, 90, 100 times a year. And so we're not we're going to have to figure out center field on those other days anyway. We might as well give the opportunities to O'Neill every day because we need him to get better at it as fast as possible. That's the team's opinion on it. And I get it because if Carlson's not playing, you do need somebody in center field. And if you don't play O'Neill in center field every day, he's probably not going to get better at it at the rate that you need to to get him up to speed. But I do think it's an interesting question because O'Neill's instincts are not Carlson's instincts in center field. Jim Edmonds was never the, the fastest player, but what did he do? He was an expert, a master of positioning defensively, knowing what balls he could and could not get to, taking gambles to say, I'm going to take away as many hits as I can. If, if one gets over hit over my head for a double, my starting pitcher is going to know that that was their fault. It wasn't my fault. Like that's the way Jim Edmonds and, you know, the Chris Carpenters of the world, the Matt Morris is like, those guys had it figured out and they were all on the same page about that. I think for the most part, I've heard Edmonds talk about that in the years since Edmonds was one of the best defensive center fielders you'll ever see was not the fastest guy, but his instincts were off the charts. There's no questioning Jim Edmonds and just his ability, his feel for the, the, the center field position. I think Dylan Carlson has a lot of really good instincts in center. I think Tyler O'Neill has a lot of really good raw ability. I don't know that the instincts are on the level that it's worth it to chase this and to continue to force it. But the issue is, if Carlson's not going to be in the lineup and Burleson is, or say Lars Newtbar is when it comes to a left-handed bat versus right-handed pitching, then, yeah, they're going to have to figure out someone that can play center. And I think that's why Dylan's getting squeezed a little bit more. And hopefully, like, I don't have to agree with it fully, but hopefully this explanation of it can allow Cardinals fans to go, all right, I see what they're doing at least. Like, I don't have to like it. But what I respect about Ollie Marmel is that he's giving you like he recognizes, okay, here's where the criticism is because he's being asked about it by reporters and he's able to say, well, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And whether the public agrees with it or not does not have an impact on whether the Cardinals are going to continue to do it, which I respect. I, we can continue to talk about it and we should because that's what's fun about this. We're going to scrutinize. We're going to look and, and, and everybody wants to see, can this team be the best version of itself, right? But I do appreciate, like, again, I have had people say, and I know it feels like I am just caping for Ali Marmel so hard, but I think I'm doing it with like evidence. I can back it up by saying, all right, I saw a comment that said Matheny 2.0. Did Mike Matheny ever give the level of insight on any decision ever that Ali Marmel was giving about the minutia of who plays center, who plays left? I say no. I say Matheny never explained his decisions like that. There was maybe a little bit of a le and, and maybe Matheny got better about this when he was with the Royals. Don't know. Didn't cover that team. But with the Cardinals, I think it was more of a of an ego thing that, you know, it he he didn't feel he had to explain those decisions. And if you were questioning them, he maybe took that a little bit personally. I don't think Ollie Marmel takes it personally when you're questioning these things. He's a baseball man that's happy to explain them. Um, I can come away with a different viewpoint, and I do. I think that O'Neal, uh, if you if you think he should be in the lineup offensively, that's fine. Uh, I think maybe Carlson, as time goes on, will deserve more of a shake there for some of those at-bats. But I think if Carlson's in the game, the, the Cardinals have their best chance to win that day by having Dylan Carlson play center field and Tyler O'Neill play left field. So it's cool. I love this element of baseball conversation because I think people can disagree. Reasonable minds can disagree. 
uh, and, and still come away with with having a really good conversation about it. But I'm curious what you guys think at bshafer12 on Twitter. Let me know. Do you do you at least acknowledge this argument from the Cardinals that I've sort of explained on today's show when it comes to O'Neill versus Carlson and center? And beyond that, do you agree or disagree with it? I kind of lean on the side of, yeah, I, I see where they're coming from. I don't think it's the way that I would go, but I also understand that it puts them in a bind because if Carlson's not going to be in their daily lineup, O'Neill is the only other option to play center. And if you want him to get better at the position, you might as well have him play it every day that he does play. So I think it's a really interesting conversation, uh, and and that's sort of my, my whole take on it. I think it's really fascinating. But that's going to be all we talk about. That's going to wrap things up for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Uh, we're going to be rolling along. The Cardinals will be on a little bit more West Coast. It's mountain time zone. So I think it's like a 740 start time, which means later nights, maybe no uh, live streams on YouTube because of it. Just depends. Like I might do it once. And then if nobody shows up because it's too late at night for people to care to talk about Cardinals baseball on a weekday, so be it. Um, but subscribe. I have gone up a lot in subscribers on YouTube and that's a huge goal of mine for the summer. And the more kind of reinforcement I get that people care about the YouTube content, the more I'm going to make YouTube content that I do believe Cardinals fans ultimately will find valuable. Like, I, I'm not saying, you know, I'm doing things nobody else is doing, but I'm doing things that that I believe uh, with, with the access that I do have at home games, right? I'm writing about the team. I'm talking to the, the, the relevant parties. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to make it happen. So hopefully this is something that you guys feel delivers a unique perspective, and I'm spending a lot of time on this. So it means a lot to me to have your support and to have you guys listening. Uh, check it out, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, however you listen. Uh, subscribe, follow, rate, review, all that good stuff. And if you really dig it, check out patreon.com slash bshafer12 uh, if you want to support all the content that way. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate you once again, and we'll talk to you next time on Shape Daily. Peace.